Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 1-1 draw with West Bromwich Albion. Diane scored in the second minute to put pressure on United straight away. Bruno Fernandes scored the equalizer with a ridiculous left foot volley from a Luke Shaw cross in the 44th minute just before halftime. And then WBA, I mean, you could say they held on because United had some big chances to score, but they had some chances of their own to win it as well. Carl, obviously an extremely disappointing result. How are you feeling about the performance? I'm super disappointed. Just the start that United had was unforgivable. In our last episode, we talked about what needs to be done to to get the three points. And we said two things. Hey, you got to start quickly. The intensity has to be there. You're fighting against a relegation team. And number two, there's going to be physicality. This is a Sam Allardyce side. And that was one of the worries we had about Lindelof playing. And that's why we both were saying, you know, bye, should be given a shot. Well, we got a dose of all of that within the first two minutes where West Brom came out with like their house was on fire. Yep. And then cross it into the box, almost ran right through Lindelof, who for some reason didn't expect it. And uh, the ball was in the back of the net before we knew what was going on. And I think what was even more disappointing was then for the next 40 minutes of the first half, we just ambled and dabbled and played at a West Brom's pace. Couldn't break them down clearly. Put all the pressure on Bruno to try and break them down because of the squad that was selected by Solskjaer, where it's not like Scott's going to break them down. It's not like Fred's going to break them down. And then you had Martial and Rashford who were extremely passive. And I would say that uh, a pretty ordinary game from Cavani, who didn't really get himself into the game, barely had any touches. So all in all, like bad performance on the pitch. And I would say, you know, performance off the pitch from the manager wasn't the best either. Yeah, and one thing I just want to quickly explain for our listeners when we talk about these relegation sides already fighting for their lives, some people might think, oh, you know, those tough games when the relegation sides are really, really battling come in those final, you know, seven, eight games. The situation right now in the league this season, Newcastle in 17th is 10 points ahead of 18th place Fulham. So they realize the desperation right now because if they don't try to get points right now, doing it in the five final five, six games is not going to matter. It's going to be too late. So they literally have to come out and get points right now. And so that should be an expectation of whoever is playing them. And United, as you said, did not come out with the right intensity. And you look at the squad selection, it is frustrating to see that you're coming up against a side with the worst goal difference in the league and you come out with two defensive midfielders and you have Fred and Scott together and they struggled so much to bring the ball up that Harry Maguire was arguably the best at bringing it up and bridging that gap between the defense and the midfield and the attackers for that matter. The number of times he ventured forward and was successful in actually bringing the ball up, you wonder what someone like Donny van de Beek who came on for the final 15 minutes could have done with more time. Obviously, he's someone who's been out of form, but there's no Pogba to turn to either. 
But right from the outset, I think Solskjaer absolutely got his selection wrong. Going up against a West Brom side that was in a 4-1-4-1 shape, you're going with a 4-2-3-1. Where is the assertiveness? What I don't understand, Vivek, is we're not even going to say hindsight is twenty twenty because we all saw this coming. This was yeah. in our last episode. We wanted a 4-1-4-1 for this reason. We had Donny van de Beek in our starting lineup because we knew we didn't need two center midfielders or defensive midfielders. The other thing is you saw the pace and intensity injected by Mason Greenwood when he came on the pitch. You just wonder what happened in that first half. You clearly saw that Ole got into his players at halftime because the way they started the second half was how they should have started the game. Now, this was reminiscent of how United used to play I would say a year ago where they always had slow starts and without Bruno, we would go down 1-0 and there was no way for us to break down the other team. And these wins or draws in this case were actually losses. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this problem has just recently surfaced. You know, Ole and the coaching staff, yes, we give them credit when credit's due. But this is one of these situations where I think a lot of these things could have been avoided. You're going against a West Brom team who is not known for their attacking intent. They just played Fulham where you would expect them to go for a big victory and they couldn't get it done. So what are you afraid of? You are Manchester United. You've got enough talent on the pitch. So that this is what's really frustrating me. And Carl, when we go back to the opening goal, the second minute, it's a cross that comes in from fairly deep on the right-hand side. And... Dian is able to get ahead of Lindelof and put the ball away. Not much De Gea could do about it. The only thing I wonder when watching the replay is because of the height of the cross, if there was enough time to come out and actually punch the ball away. But in terms of once Dian meets the ball, I don't think there's any keeper that's really saving that with the power and the placement on that. Victor Lindelof absolutely needs to pick up Dian right from the beginning. And to me, I compare it to rebounding in basketball, where if you're just ball watching and you're trying to follow the ball wherever it comes off the rim, you're putting yourself in a bad situation because you're depending on a bit of luck. And Lindelof, by not picking up his man, by essentially not boxing out, is hoping for a bit of luck. And by that being the referee blowing the whistle for a free kick. He doesn't get that bit of luck. And United are having to chase the game from the second minute. Spot on, Vivek. Initial positions are key here. And that's why I I don't think the keeper's at fault uh, in terms of coming out or not. I think his starting position was on his line. So if he was starting further out like an Ederson does or an Allison, then you know the case can be made to just punch it out. But because he's starting so far back, he's placing his trust in the defense to get the job done. And I think Lindelof is sleeping, if I'm being honest. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Somebody is going to be running onto this ball. These guys are fighting for their lives right now. You're just, you know, hey, yeah, it's the second minute. These guys aren't, you know, up to full gear. So I got some time. No, it doesn't work like that, Victor. And you've been in the Premier League long enough to know it's a physical league. So when are you actually going to understand that? 
when are you going to understand that there's rumors about United looking for another center back? Shouldn't you take that as an insult? Shouldn't you be motivated by that? It doesn't look like it. You know, one thing I ask is if Lindelof, if, if you're looking at it from analogy to a midfield player, he's like that midfielder that shoots from 35, 40 yards out and the ball is rolling to the keeper. And you're saying, I don't think you have the capability to shoot from there. So with Lindelof, I'm asking at this point, having seen as much of him as we have, does he really even have the capability to be that physical? So when you're going into these matchups, your expectation shouldn't be, oh, okay, he'll be physical all of a sudden. I think the expectation is he is going to get bullied. And situations like this will arise. And you have to just hope for the best. So either you select someone different or you expect these types of things to happen. Yeah, I guess you just live with the consequences because clearly other managers have put a strategy in place where you didn't see that West Brom striker go up against Harry Maguire too many times in the air. Mm -hmm. He was always on Lindelof's side. That should be a clue for Ole. Now, as we go into United's response to the goal, they did start to dictate terms later in the half. Luke Shaw really seemed to put his stamp on the game. And I feel like his leadership over this course of time where he has found his form has gone to another level as well. Because you're seeing even in the back when mistakes are being made, he is the one being vocal. He is the one calling players out and saying, this needs to be better. That needs to be better. You can see it on the pitch. And it's amazing what confidence can do. His crossing was a major, major threat. When you consider, as you said, Cavani wasn't quite Cavani in this match, the fact that Luke Shaw was still such a big threat, that's a real positive for United. Luke Shaw was immense. And you're right. In fact, I'll actually give credit because Rashford from the other side also put in some Mm. magnificent crosses. And where you expect a United player to be, there wasn't. And this happened with Cavani, where you could also see, everybody could see what was coming. The commentator was even calling for it, where Shaw was crossing. Cavani, as per usual, was making the near post run. West Brom did a good job of marking that area. So there was a lot of deflections that prevented the ball from going in there. And then obviously from the other side, when Rashford was crossing, you had the same old where we don't need to talk about it. You could see a West Brom defender making it difficult for Martial to get in the box. And Martial was more than happy to say like, oh, I know I'm being blocked off, so I can't make that near post run or whatnot. There were some delightful crosses on another day. Somebody just making that run would have gone on the end of that. And this is where I come back to the point. I know we've talked about this, but with your selection, if you've got a midfielder that's more focused on getting in the box, you Mm -hmm. add another body in there. Makes it a little harder for West Brom to mark our strikers. So if you're not playing the likes of Donny van der Beek, then you've got to tell Fred to play 10 yards up the pitch. You could clearly see there was a hesitation on their end to do that. And this is some of the consequences. When you've got these fantastic crosses coming in the box, you don't have enough bodies. Guess what? West Brom's got like eight bodies in the box at all times. So to find one of us is hard. Luke Shaw managed to do that for the first goal, which we can talk about a little bit. That was one hell of a finish from Bruno Fernandes. Uh, paying homage to a finish off the shins 
from uh, uh, the white Pele <laughs> known as Wayne Rooney on the 10th anniversary of that wonder bicycle kick goal from uh, Rooney against Manchester yeah, City. Yeah, that was a ridiculous strike. And frankly, it came out of nowhere because Bruno seemed fairly anonymous in that first half as well. He was struggling to get going and you could see, again, that disconnect between the CDMs and the attacking players. Bruno was trying to get involved, but at the same time, the only time he could get involved is if he comes deeper to help United bring the ball forward. And then it's a lot to ask to do that job and then to also get in amongst the goals. So it was great to see him get in the box to have that shot uh, and then give United a bit of an impetus heading into the second half. Did you think the referee was right to blow the whistle when United cleared away that corner in injury time and set off on the counter where they clearly had numbers, but the whistle was blown for halftime? You know what? I'm not going to complain too much about that because we had a very similar instance happen in our favor Mm -hmm. when we played Liverpool. When the referee blew on the stroke of halftime where Thiago had a long ball into Mane. And Lindelof was a couple of yards behind. I can't really complain. Now, Carl, we can move on to the second half. And, you know, I'm assuming part of why we didn't see Greenwood or Van de Beek for as long as we did is because Solskjaer was keeping an eye on the Thursday fixture against Real Sociedad. And I assume that both those players will start in that match. I don't know if I agree with it, just because when you consider how congested the fixtures have been, having Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off, I feel like there's still enough of a gap for them to have played more minutes or been more involved in this match. And we saw once Greenwood came on, the difference of the threat between him and Marshall was day and night. And I think he's on an excellent run of form. Ole should have continued to keep faith in him. And it was really surprising just not to see him uh, involved right from the get-go. He was he was immense. He Obviously, he had that shot that was uh, saved by Sam Johnston. And then the deflection gets to McTominay. And that's cleared off the line. That was probably the biggest clear-cut chance. Maguire, you know, we can get to that at the end. But that was not an easy chance. That was probably the most clear-cut chance United had in the second half. What are your thoughts on Greenwood right now? And to you, should it be a priority to have him in the lineup ahead of Anthony Marshall? I think it should be a priority just because United have a lot more balance when Greenwood's in the team. He's got a left foot and he can cut in from the right wing, just like Rashford has a right foot and he cuts in from the left wing. Now, what's happening is when Rashford's out on the right wing, he's losing a little bit of his his weapon of being able to cut inside Mm -hmm. because he doesn't have that left foot. So we're losing that balance. So I think Ole's got to think about that a little bit more and potentially, you know what, play Greenwood in the league where, let's be honest, people are dropping points all the time. And why can't you play Martial in the Europa? It's still another competition where you want to win a trophy. So I'm definitely on board with you when it comes to that. Now, I actually had a question on that topic. You know, Ole has received a lot of flack for his comments from the previous game where he said that we're not contending for a title. We're just playing really well. And so we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. And people in the media were saying like, hey, you're Manchester United. How can you be conceding a title or saying you're not in the title? Shouldn't you be fighting for it? 
what are your thoughts on that? And do you think that's why Ole's picking the squads he's picking? I think that is more media talk. I think that's just putting a front to just manage what's out in the public and making sure the players don't get in their heads about potentially being a title contender. I mean, we just saw the manager of the defending champion say they're not in the title race anymore. So I'm not going to read too much into those public comments. I'm sure, you know, for Ole, I do agree that with this club, you have to look at it one match at a time, not get ahead of yourselves. We saw against Sheffield United what can happen when you get a little bit ahead of yourselves. And United were feeling great after that victory over Liverpool, and they were brought right back down to earth. And so I think the approach of one match at a time, and we'll see where we're at when the 38 matches is up, is the right way to go. And internally, if they're building a, a swagger, or if they were building a swagger, then you, you leave it at that. But I, I don't have an issue with the comments being made. And I've talked before about this whole, the name is Manchester United, and therefore, you know, this is what they should be doing. I don't subscribe to that theory at all. Just because if someone puts us in a Manchester United uniform and puts us on the pitch, I don't think anyone should be expecting a title. <laughs> I don't understand why they're even talking about this because it's not like Ferguson or you know some of the famous managers haven't had quotes on out there where they're taking the 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 limelight or the spotlight away from his mm-hmm. team and focusing it on something else. 100% Ole is telling his players in the dressing room that we're in a title race and you better put, pull your socks up and let's get the job done. But what he tells the media is different because he doesn't want to put the pressure on his players. He's very different from the previous manager we had in that regard and it's been working. Yeah. Why would he change it now? So Mika Richards, when you make comments like that, I know you've been a pundit for you know two minutes. Maybe you just need to understand how managers can sometimes use their words to take the pressure off their players. Now, one thing I do want to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer credit for, him and the entire coaching staff, is we've talked about how the fullbacks have gotten more involved offensively. And I feel like one thing they've identified to help Erwan Bissaka is, and we also mentioned Rashford's crossing, is he is doing a lot more underlapping where he's running inside Rashford when Rashford's out on the right. And so they're just playing to each other's strengths, right? Rashford, you have that great right foot. You can cross the ball and get some nice bend on it. Why don't you be on the outside? Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you can cut in. You seem to be pretty good at those low crosses. Uh, You're better when you don't have as much of a distance to worry about. So we'll put you in that position to succeed. Luke Shaw, they can see... He's got no problem crossing the ball from distance, so he's out wide. And then you see when Greenwood comes on, they switch it the other way because they know Greenwood is now cutting in, getting into the box. So now you can see Juan Bissaka just being a bit deeper, being a bit out wide. And so little things like that where they're playing to each player's strengths, I think that's something that is worth giving uh, Solskjaer and the coaching staff credit for. And to add to that, you know, at the end of the game, Ole was asked about his title comments. And what he said was, I said we shouldn't be talked about in the title race. A compliment for the boys. We got into a position we are now. We won't let Manchester City run away with it. 
We're playing them soon. We're not giving it away early. No, we're not. I think if there was any questions around desire within the team, I think he's he's answered it pretty emphatically. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of good answers and being emphatic, who was your Cantona caller today? I would probably go with Luke Shaw. I think looking at his performance, obviously he sets up the first goal and he could have very easily have set up the winner as well. Maguire's header, the 94th minute, that was a great header and that was an incredible save from Sam Johnston. He just gets his fingertips on it, onto the post, and that's United's last chance. Overall, I think Luke Shaw is so confident in his game right now. I don't think there was any other player that was close to his level over the course of the 90 minutes. Completely agree with you. I thought Luke Shaw was fantastic defensively and offensively. The crosses that he whipped in were fantastic. So no no arguments there. Luke Shaw, Cantona caller, 100%. Who do you think is getting the boot? <laughs> the man we talked about right off the top, Victor Lindelof. It's one thing when I say that these are the expectations I have of Lindelof in a physical contest, in a physical contest. But at the end of the day, when you're going into the matchup and you know you're playing, I assume you want to continue to get better at it. I assume you want to prove your naysayers wrong and look at what people are saying about you in this regard and say, oh, people think this is a weakness. Let me show that it can be a strength. And little things where you can make up for your lack of physicality by being in the right place at the right time or doing your homework early. Like I said, just get to the man early. Don't give him the space to where he's now able to run onto your back and score. If you just put a body on him early, he has no momentum. Why is Marshall not making runs when he's in the box, getting to the far post, wherever it is? Because he's flat-footed, the defender puts his arms on Marshall, and Marshall's like, okay, I can't move now. If no one is near Marshall, now he's thinking, I can go wherever I want. And maybe then he moves. So the same way, discourage other people from moving by getting on them early. You're right, Vivek. Victor Lindelof was my candidate as well. So you're two for two. So you're on song. (laughs) You might as well pick the noisy neighbor while you're at it. Well, I know that Dian got the goal, but I'm actually going to go for Ajay. Because Dian himself, for me, took him out of the running for the noisy neighbor because of the two chances he missed, frankly. When he's able to body Harry Maguire off the ball and is one-on-one with David De Gea, he should be scoring. So credit to David De Gea for making an amazing save and then a double save because he gets back up on his feet and dives to prevent Dion from heading the ball in. And then there was a terrific ball across the box where Dion doesn't even get it on target, blazes it over the bar. So those two chances for me actually took him out of the running for the noisy neighbor. I thought Ajay was fantastic. He, We talked about a lot of the great crosses that came in. A lot of the times he was the one getting it out. And let's face it, WBA were under the pump that second half. And so to not concede, I think you have to get 
give credit to that back line. And I think, I don't think anyone was more responsible than him. Maybe Sam Johnston is close. Yeah, my two candidates were Ajayi and Sam Johnston. Yes, Sam Johnston made a fantastic save at the end, but I don't think he was worked hard enough. And a reason for that was because of that back line. And so I'm once again in agreement with you that uh, Ajayi is the noisy neighbor. So uh, well done there, Vivek. Three reds. You can call me DRS. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think... We've covered pretty much everything that needs to be said about this match. Shall we move over to some Europa League action on Thursday? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay. Well, looking at Real Sociedad, they are fifth in La Liga. 23 matches, 38 points. Seven points off fourth place Sevilla. This was a match that initially when the draw came out was looking a lot more difficult because Sociedad were higher in the table. And looking at uh, potentially title contenders, uh, I, I guess you can say United and Real Sociedad have a lot in common right now. Um, what are your expectations going into not just a match against Sociedad, but also big picture in terms of United prioritizing this trophy? I think United will prioritize it. I think Ole knows he's at a point in his United career where he needs a trophy. He cannot go three years without a trophy. So this will be prioritized. In terms of the fixture itself, whenever it comes to these Spanish teams in general, I always feel United don't do well against this opposition. We had our troubles against Sevilla last year where we got knocked out to them. This year, we're playing Real Sociedad, who are a dangerous team. They're on a two-game winning streak. Uh, They just beat Getafe 1-0. There are a couple of old boys from the Premier League in that team who know us pretty well. You've got one former United player in Adnan Yanuzai. You have David Silva, who tormented us for City over the years. You've even got Nacho Monreal, who used to play for Arsenal. So, quite a few old boys in there. And I think Ole might have to take a page out of Sir Alex Ferguson's book, where in the first leg of a European tie, you nullify the opposition and make sure you do not concede. And then if you can nick an away goal, hey. You're coming back home where you can then, you know, finish the job off uh, in a way. However, United's home form hasn't been that great. So I think that part goes out the window a little bit. But that would be my tactics. And so if there was ever a time to play a 4-2-3-1 formation with two defensive midfielders, now would be that time. Uh, Just to give you an idea, Sociedad plays a 4-1-4-1 formation. So... There's a chance to there's a chance for us to nullify each other out, and uh, I think we're sorely missing Paul Pogba at the moment. So, you know what? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to make sure we just don't concede. That's that's what I think we need to be doing for this game. What do you think the uh, the lineup will be, Vivek? So one quick thing I do want to counter with is that this is not your typical away fixture, right? Because they are playing in Turin with the match being relocated by UEFA. So I think that adds an interesting wrinkle where Sociedad won't be in familiar territory. And so in a neutral ground, obviously, you know, the dynamics are the same. If you get an away goal, it counts as an away goal. Uh, So that part of it is the same. But I feel like United shouldn't be intimidated by where they are going per se. 
that might open up an opportunity where you say, hey, because this isn't a regular away match, we actually have more of an opportunity in front of us. I think you're right to go with the 4-2-3-1, but I would still want United to be the aggressor in this match. Be the one setting the tone. Don't go into it thinking, you know, we have to really absorb pressure and we have to take some blows and then just try and strike where we can. I don't think that should be the approach. So lineup wise. So when I think of the starting lineups, I am looking at Europa as still a priority. I would not eliminate it from my priorities until I feel certain about a top four spot. So that being said, Dean Henderson comes in in goal because it's a cup competition. I will have Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Harry Maguire, and Luke Shaw in the back. But I will have Eric Bailly come in for Victor Lindelof. So that, so him and Henderson are the changes. I agree with you about the 4-2-3-1. So I would have Scott and Fred in the defensive midfield roles. What are you looking at uh, from an attacking front? For me, Vivek, I've got, I've said this time and again, that Van de Beek does need a little run in the team before we can make a judgment on whether we need to move on mm-hmm. when it comes to him. So Van de Beek is playing instead of Bruno for me. I've got Greenwood playing on the right, Rashford playing on the left, and I'm going for Cavani up top. The reason I'm doing that is I do believe that Cavani is much more familiar with this type of opposition and he can get the best out of them. He knows how to play against defenders who might be good in the dark arts. Cavani isn't too bad himself. So that's the reason I'm going with him because you need a little bit of experience, a little bit of tactical news, which I feel that Martial is a little naive. So that's why I'm going with, going with Cavani. Yeah, I think you've convinced me, Carl. I was weighing up whether it should be Martial or Cavani, but I think that argument works for me. With Van de Beek, the one thing I will say is, you know, in terms of me losing faith in him, it's losing faith in him for this season. I do still consider him a long-term investment. And we've seen other players, right? We've seen how Fred has improved over time. We've seen that players... You know, especially when you're coming to a new league, when you're coming to the English league, there is that adaptation period. And hopefully that's happening with uh, Alex Tellers as well. So even if Van de Beek doesn't find form over the course of this season, I would still like to see that play out because let's face it, Paul Pogba is not around right now. And he might not be around when next season comes. And you will need an option like Van de Beek. You took the words out of my mouth. Vivek, my next point was just going to be, hey, if you want to see what a future Manchester United team looks like without Paul Pogba and if we can cope, now is a pretty good time to see how we're going to do. At the moment, we're struggling. Let's rewind a little bit. Let's say we never signed Van de Beek for the $40 million that people are giving United heck about. Pogba leaves and then we sign Van de Beek in 2021. Now, everybody's like, yeah, we've got a replacement, we're fine. Then Van de Beek plays and is nowhere up to the level of the Premier League. What's the criticism going to be then? Mm-hmm. Why didn't United have any depth in their squad earlier? So United's taken this approach, getting him acclimatized. So let's say if Pogba's not on the team, Van de Beek is hitting the ground running. So I just want people to understand that perspective as well. We are looking for United to hit the ground running 
because they've hit a bit of a lull these last few matches. It's a disappointing run since they got into that title conversation. And it started with that disappointing draw with Arsenal. Obviously, there was a loss to Sheffield United as well. But we'll see if United can bounce back in this Europa League fixture. Maybe get some good vibes going again. Until Thursday, a reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.